This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. It is Seattle Sports at Night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome in. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Stacy. <laughs> so nice of you to show up finally. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. I'm sorry I missed yesterday. I hope you guys didn't have any breaking news yeah, late. Stuff that happened like 20 minutes before hopping on air. Oh, yeah? Where we were just kind of, you know, running around with our heads cut off. What happened? Some guy, like this Ziggy Ansa guy, he signed oh. with the Seahawks. I, it's kind of a big deal. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Heck no. No? Not familiar, sorry. No? You're unfamiliar with his work? You being the Seahawks insider? <laughs> no, it's all good. Name three Ziggy yeah. Ansa songs, <laughs> oh, Curtis. Oh! <laughs> what's Ziggy Ansa's sister's middle name? Bet you I guess don't you know. aren't a fan, are you? Yeah, I guess not. Uh, but, but Sorry I missed that. No, but... There's some breaking news today yes. that we are going to get to uh, because it, it has to do with a couple of guys who left their mark on the Seahawks franchise in ways that very few people will even come close to. Uh, we're talking about Doug Baldwin and Cam Chancellor. If you haven't heard today the news, the Seahawks have, in fact, terminated the contracts of both Cam Chancellor and Doug Baldwin today. Cam obviously hasn't played in over a year uh, dealing with those neck stingers that he got at the end of the 2017 season. And then Doug Baldwin dealing with a lot of surgeries, a lot of operations this offseason, uh, hernias and shoulders and knees and uh, only 30 years old. And, you know, both guys, just tremendous careers in the NFL. And with this move that the Seahawks made today, uh, it would appear as though both of those careers are are done, at least here in Seattle, for Doug Baldwin. Maybe he comes back somewhere else, who knows. But uh, Cam Chancellor, certainly his NFL career is over. So uh, just a couple of franchise icons on their way out today. And, and I mean, very few times do... Players, just one of those kinds of guys, come through an organization. Yeah, no. And yet we saw a whole roster full of those kinds of guys. Yeah, I think that plays a lot into... We're going to talk later as to like what the legacy they left behind. And I think a lot of the reaction people had, and I think the sadness that I heard from people wasn't just because these are two good players and then good men off the field in their communities, in that locker room, but also because it's so rare to have a team have that much talent at once and that much success when they had the talent. And I think for Seattle, that period of, what, four years, five years? um, From about 2012 to 2016 or so. Right, was certainly their most successful in franchise history and probably their, their most concentrated collection of talent. I mean, it's I don't know that you see that ever with a single franchise. No. So I think people know that, that that kind of thing is rare. And so I think that there's a little bit of that that's mixed with this. Absolutely. And I mean, just what those guys have accomplished in their career, the amount of Pro Bowls, the amount of All-Pro teams that they made, Doug Baldwin holding uh, so many franchise records when it comes to wide receivers, Cam Chancellor being the heartbeat of that defense, the the most vaunted defense of its era, one of the greatest defenses of all time, and, I mean, just two unbelievable Seahawks, two guys that left their mark on this franchise and really left their mark on this city. But we will talk about their impact and what they leave behind 
here in Seattle coming up in about 15 minutes. But as we start off every single night here on Seattle Sports Night, we check out what is on the timeline, and clearly the biggest news of the day is Doug Baldwin and Cam Chancellor being released by the Seahawks organization, terminating their contracts, uh, bringing an end to an eight-year career for Doug Baldwin. You look at where both of these guys came from to get to where they were in the NFL. Cam Chancellor being a fifth-round pick, Doug Baldwin being an undrafted free agent. Yeah, didn't even get a combine in. No, and the odds stacked against those two guys from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Fifth-round picks don't become the kinds of superstars that that Chancellor became. No, and I think that when you even look back, I was looking at, I think this was when he was initially injured or maybe initially announced that he uh, would have to step away from the field. Didn't officially retire or announce his retirement, but so we were looking back at some old clips, and so with Game Pass, I just looked back at like uh, trying to find out when he made his first official tackle. And it's, first of all, he's so young. Mm-hmm. But then you realize that he's just he's just a guy on special teams. He didn't come in as a starter. He was third on that depth chart. And he was able to be a starter just the following year. Um, and then kind of held down that safety tandem with Earl Thomas from then on out until he suffered his career-ending injury. But it's it just reminds you that these guys really, sometimes they can come out of nowhere. Absolutely. Uh, Doug Baldwin being an undrafted free agent, and he was the longest-tenured Seahawk up until he got his contract terminated. Mm -hmm. Him and K.J. Wright had been here uh, kind of the same time frame just to see where these guys came from and what they accomplished in their careers. Just simply remarkable. Doug Baldwin uh, finishing, holding the single-season franchise record for touchdowns in a season with 14 in 2015, most receptions in a single season, third in all-time receiving yards, and second to just Steve Largent in franchise history in career touchdowns. Uh, it's When you put the Mount Rushmore, which is that typical sports radio topic. Where is Mount Rushmore? South Dakota. Got it. Which, I mean, other than Mount Rushmore, what else is there to do? What there? do you have? Not a whole lot. I, there's We're the Seahawks down. Mount Rushmore. And then I think that you could come up with a Mount Rushmore of this era of Seahawks years, I think you would have to put at least one of the two on there. Mm-hmm. Russ is up there. Marshawn's probably up there. You can only choose four. That's I know. The thing. Sherman's probably up there. You're already at five. Well, there's only four presidents on Mount Rushmore. No, I know, but you're already at yeah, five Yeah, I know. Seahawks. Man. Oh. Who do you pick? You don't. Why are we, why are we even doing that? Point right being now? that after just eight years... Um, now just 30 years old, it is pretty remarkable to see what Doug Baldwin uh, was able to do in that small a time. And not just that, but it's not like he peaked no. in the last three seasons or, or had an upswing. I mean, he came in and became the top receiver as an undrafted rookie free agent, which you so rarely see. And not only that, but rarely is it just a spark that keeps going. Thomas Rawls came in, had a phenomenal rookie season as an undrafted free agent. And, and just kind of fell off, couldn't mm-hmm. quite replicate that success, had some injuries that, that were thrown in there. To have Doug Baldwin continue to, in all but three of his seasons, one including last year when he was injured, be the leading receiver on the team is, is wild. Absolutely. Uh, with those guys on their way out, the Seahawks, they did, in fact, add some more pieces to their roster. Uh Guys who may not be huge difference makers in 2019, but good to have roster depth as well. Jamar Taylor, cornerback, fullback Nick Ballore, and then guard Marcus Martin. Uh, 
Taylor, a former second-round pick by the Miami Dolphins back in 2013. That 2013 draft. They're collecting. They love the 2013 At draft. At first I thought, well, maybe it's because 2013 those guys became free agents. But no, I mean, you're working on year five now. I think it's just 2013 had was considered kind of a year of a lot of busts. Oh, so, yeah. so you suddenly have some really high-round picks that are available. Yeah, I saw on Twitter last night that the Seahawks have now employed six of the top 13 picks in the I know, because they would have Barkevius Mingo, who was, what, number six, five? Yeah, and then they Deion would Jordan have was Deion third. Jordan, number three. Luke Jokel was second. And then... You've got uh, Ziggy Ansa, who was fifth. And then you've got no, a couple other people. He was in 2013? He was, yeah. So, I mean, they've got a lot of guys who have come from... Uh, from that draft on the roster who have come through the organization as well. Uh, tonight on the Diamond, Mariners drop game four of their four-game series to the Yankees, 3-1 to one today, only managing two hits against Jay Happ. Domingo Santana with a home run in the ninth inning, but that wasn't the biggest story of the night. D. Gordon removed mm-hmm. from the game after getting hit by a pitch on his right wrist. Edwin Encarnacion rolled his wrist as well, diving for a ball when he was playing second base of all places. And then Dylan Moore also had to be removed from the game with a wrist injury. Not ideal, but this does make for a possible opportunity for J.P. Crawford to make his way onto the Major League roster. And you look at what J.P. Crawford's done in AAA this year. I mean, this guy has been unbelievable. He's reached base every game so far in AAA. So uh, with a bad thing like this, maybe it gives an opportunity for a young kid to come in and, and show what he's got at the Major League level. Yeah, no, and we, it's so funny that we just, ha- it's not funny, but we did just have this conversation. Yeah. Um, specifically about JP Crawford. And I know we're talking about all of this later and potential roster moves, but, but we had a conversation about, well, when do you start bringing in those younger players? And it seems like the Mariners kind of forced their hand here. Uh, yeah, this is maybe the least desirable way to force someone to. It would not yeah. be this way. But Crawford has certainly played at a level deserving of a promotion. Uh, some good news, though. NHL Seattle 2021, it's getting closer and closer by the day. Well, they launched their fan website today where you and I and all of us can go on there and vote on various poll questions. Did you take a survey? I did. I did, too. Yeah. What did uh, you get? <laughs> uh, the preferred color scheme, I said anything but blue and green. I did, too. I really want black. Yeah, I want, like red or like brick red and black or something like that? I'm or? fine. I just I think that a, a black uh, jersey would just just something that's kind of like uh, just Dark different. And, yeah. Everything is is lime green and it's not great. Yeah. Uh, not it, a fan. In arena music, I just voted for all of the above. But I don't really so that you guys know, organ player yeah. is one of them. I'm down with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's a little old school. And then team nickname, they broke it up in four different categories. Uh, one of the categories was things that eat Canucks. Which, I picked that one. Okay. Which, I mean, that's like, th- those are people. Like, that's what people are called in Canada. Well, that's, did that's I pretty stutter? wild. I said what I said. That's true. <laughs> Stacy saying it with a chest. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then just some terrible, terrible, awful fan behavior This today. is awful. So Albert Pujols joined the 2000 RBI this. club today. That's not what she hates, because, I mean, unless you have uh, something against nope, Albert Pujols. No, it's not that. He's, he seems like a nice fella. Yeah. Uh, only the fourth time in Major League Baseball that someone has gotten 2,000 RBIs in, in their career. Like, that's a pretty elite I company. Mean, baseball's been around for, for at least 50 years. years. <laughs> yeah, 150 years, actually. 
Uh, and so only four dudes have, have ever had that much. Well, Albert Pujols, he joined that club today. He had a home run to join that club, mm-hmm. which means the ball goes into the stands. Someone's picked it up. Well, that fan who did grab the ball, he is refusing to return it to the Angels or Albert Pujols. In fact, he turned down offers from not just the Angels organization, also the Tigers organization, to get that ball back. Because he's a Tigers fan. He is. And I don't know. If I was in that situation, all it would take for me to get the ball back is to like meet Albert Pujols. And have him say, can I please have this ball back? Yeah, and then like maybe get like a signed jersey out of the deal. Yeah, this is pointed out by 206 texting in now, and this is also on the person um, who tweeted this out, uh, that the ball wasn't even authenticated, so he can't sell it. Like, it's worthless. It's not worthless, uh, like, I don't know, emotionally. But if you're trying to sell it, if you think that's why you're keeping it, Mm -hmm. it's completely worthless the minute you leave that stadium. It is. So I just... just, The joke's on you, I, I saw some comments that people were leaving, and they were like, why would this guy give back a piece of MLB history? That's his right. And I just kind of felt like, you know, yes, it is a really cool piece of MLB history. He caught the ball. But on the other hand, this is someone who, whose career and life has been dedicated to, to these achievements, mm-hmm. asked for it. it. It's incredibly important to this person who has put in decades of work. And this jabroni. Which, he looks like one. Yeah. What's a jabroni? It's it's what The Rock likes to call people who are just idiots. Oh, yeah. He looks like a jabroni. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I can tell you who's not a jabroni. You and I. Yeah. Because that's just who we aren't here on Seattle Sports at Night. You got him. Got him. <laughs> Hook, line, and sinker. Coming up next year on Seattle Sports at Night, what legacy did Doug Baldwin and Cam Chancellor leave behind? We take a look back at two of the greatest athletes to ever call Seattle home right now or Coming up on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coors Light text line always there for you on. Just, just always on. It's always there. If you've got something to say. Make sure you say it right there. From the 206 says, ooh, calling him a jabroni. I love it. <laughs> Emphasis, Curtis. Yeah, all right. Well, it's They're... in all caps, so. Yeah, so, I mean, when I call somebody a jabroni, I kind of You mean it. it. Yeah. So. You don't just use that lightly. No, no, no. We don't throw that around willy-nilly here You're on a Seattle jabroni. You... You've earned that title. Yeah. And that's a, that's a jabroni move. Mm-hmm. It is. It definitely is. By the way, you can listen to Seattle Sports Tonight via the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Accurate dealers. Doug Baldwin, Cam Chancellor, what is their legacy here in Seattle? Text that into the Coors Light text line, 710-710, because I want to hear from you, Seahawks fans out there especially, because these are two franchise icons. These are guys who are on that top level of Seahawks players that have ever come through this organization, and... Not only did they have tremendous on-field production, but they were huge leaders in their community, and they also brought the city's first professional football championship. And, I mean, just looking up and down, it is so hard to quantify what they meant to mm-hmm. Seattle in just you know a, a two-hour radio show that we're doing here. But, I mean, the city of Seattle 
in the Seattle sports world, infinitely better off having watched these two guys over the last decade than if they had never shown up or if they had played elsewhere. Yeah, no, and I think I think these two, uh, in addition to a group of guys that they kind of came up with in Seattle system, set a bar <clears throat> for the Seahawks that they didn't have before. I think, I mean, you know, maybe this is recency bias, but um, I again, I just think that group of talent they had collectively at the same time was rare in itself, and then being able to make the most of it. Because that's the second part that's really hard. There's been a lot of, of great teams. There's been a lot of great Mariners teams. Mm-hmm. Have they ever been able to strike gold with it? No. <laughs> like they, yeah. I mean, it's just, they have their fair it is share hard to do both. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to get a group of really talented, really top-tier athletes together and make it work. Like 31 other teams lose so that you can get that championship. So... Um, I think with these two in particular, it's it's not some of the recent losses Seattle has had where there's been um, maybe not bad blood, but it's it's been a little awkward, a little uncomfortable, whether they were traded in the case of Michael Bennett, um, sought a new contract elsewhere in the case of Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman. And both of those instances with Sherman and Thomas were different. I think with these two, it was just kind of a a celebrated ending, but also both players, their careers ended probably sooner than they would have liked. Mm -hmm. Both were injury-related retirements. So, well, who knows with Baldwin, it was just a contract termination. So, of course, he could always play somewhere else. But I think that that adds a bit of maybe sorrow to it for some fans. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's interesting to see where these guys have come in their career like what they were able to do in the later years of their career. Cam Chancellor especially, because I think when he held out following the second Super Bowl year, there was definitely some hurt feelings, not just you know with the Seahawks organization, but I think with the fan base as well, where he missed those first two games of the, the following season, and the Seahawks lost both of those games. And in the first mm-hmm. one... There was that time that Deion Bailey fell down on the game's final play and the Rams won on that touchdown pass by Nick Foles. And to see not just Cam come back from that and also the Seahawks kind of put it behind them, but also for him to eventually get that contract that he so desperately Mm -hmm. wanted when he chose to hold out, like to see the Seahawks fan base embrace him again and just really put it behind him, I think that kind of speaks to the kind of person that Cam Chancellor became here in Seattle, where you know he was a guy that he had the best intentions in mind, I think, in that holdout because he felt like he deserved it. And I, I don't know if that's Cam's lasting memory. I think I'll, I, obviously, I think what people he are going to remember him yeah. for being a hard hitter specifically. I really hope that they remember him for that rather than his holdout because, I mean, that was just, you know, it was a summer where there were a lot of question marks, but holy cow, I mean, when he did things like this on the field, there were very few players on the field that could make your jaw drop the way he could. Mm-hmm. Newton again, shotgun snap, looks, still looks, fires, ball is intercepted, coming back to near side, he's going to go, it is Camp Chancellor, they are not going to touch him, 15, 10, 5, he strides in, Camp Chancellor, touchdown, Seahawks, 
91 yards. No flags. The Seahawks are going to host the NFC Championship next week. 91 yards for Cam. Holy catfish. And I think the thing about Cam Chancellor is just his jaw-dropping athleticism for a guy his size, six foot four, mm-hmm. two hundred and thirty pounds, to make plays like that, and also in that same game jumping over the pile and blocking. See, that's those one of the plays well. I'm going to remember is him jumping the line. I mean, and I know that people will say, "Well, his his foot grazed or whatever," but yeah. he did it twice. It's yeah. unreal. Like I mean, even back just to back plays. Yeah, and even watching it, I mean, there are moments I think when you. The press box when you're watching games is a working area, so it's really quiet. No one's wearing jerseys. No one's cheering. And no one tries to be a fan. Everyone tries to look at everything very objectively and professionally. There are moments of athleticism or surprise plays that I think you can always tell when it's just above and beyond because suddenly all the reporters just kind of go, whoa, and and there's Mm -hmm. suddenly this like, Otherwise, like working area, everyone just kind of their jaw drops. And and to me, that's kind of one of those moments. Now, on the other side, Doug Baldwin, his impact and his legacy in Seattle, I think he became the heartbeat of that offense after Marshawn Lynch left. And I think the Seahawks offense is going to be ran, I think, very differently without Doug Baldwin here. And I don't know if... if I'm ready for a Seahawks offense without him because he was the ultimate safety blanket. Like he was a guy who wasn't going to drop passes mm-hmm. and he was going to get first downs and he was going to get touchdowns. He was automatic in the red zone. He was Russell Wilson's best receiver that he had here. And I don't think for, for all these guys that are currently here, the Tyler Lockett's, the DK Metcalf's of the world, for them to even match or, or come close to the level of production that Doug Baldwin had here. Yeah. They're they got a lot of work cut out for them. And that's why it's just, I think, one of the oddest things. I don't want to say a shame, but but one of the weirdest things about Doug Baldwin's career in Seattle is that I don't think people started really recognizing him as, as a top-tier receiver until a bit later in his career. Specifically, in was it 2015 when he and Russell Wilson had that run? Because it was after Jimmy Graham was injured. People were worried about the offense and what would happen. And yeah, all of a sudden, Doug Baldwin was breaking records with multiple touchdown uh, touchdowns in consecutive games. And I don't know if it's just that you know he was a like a smaller, more of like a slot receiver, and at the time the league is paying attention to the um, the bigger guys and the Antonio Browns or just guys where it's like a clear face of your franchise type receiver. And I think that for a while at the beginning of this run, it was the defense was what was fronting it. And I mean, I don't think Baldwin was, was that off base when, when he was younger and, and got really upset about the pedestrian comment. And I know that got played over and over and, um, and whatnot, but I think it, I think that people will come to appreciate his, not just what he did for the organization, helping bring a championship here, but literally his skill set, starting to appreciate that, not just as time goes on and people you know, look back on that time and what he achieved being such a prolific receiver here, but just his playing style. 
I mean, when you look at highlights, it's not always insane catches. It's him. It looks like he's breaking guys' ankles. I mean, he's so quick off the line. Yeah. Uh, You look at his career in Seattle. The last reception that he made, I believe, was that 4th and 22, or 4th and 6 with a 22-yard pass from Russell Wilson where he dragged his toes on the sideline Mm -hmm. against the Dallas Cowboys. Russell takes a shotgun snap. Looking to convert. Throws to the near side. Reaching up. Baldwin, does he drag his feet? He did! He drags his feet and stays inbounds inside the 20. The Cowboys say he didn't, but the officials on the near side say he did. And, I mean, that just is such a testament to the kind of wide receiver that he was. Just how precise he was in his routes. Him being able to get his two feet down in a moment so big in which the the game could have gotten out of the Seahawks' hands in, in that se- in that third quarter. In fact, they went on to take the lead in the third quarter, heading into the fourth. That, unfortunately, they couldn't hang on the fourth. But, I mean, for that to be his last reception in the NFL, mm-hmm. a toe-dragging catch on the sideline in, in such a huge moment on a fourth down it's conversion. Kind of, it's like, a that's summary so of yeah. his time here, not yeah. just being like a smart receiver that knows to do that, but just a clutch guy. It absolutely is. Uh, coming up next, I mean, more... Uh, reaction to Cam Chancellor and Doug Baldwin's contracts being terminated by the Seahawks organization. Uh, But coming up next, where does the release of Doug Baldwin leave the Seahawks offense heading into 2019? We answer that question next. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Ross, Seattle Sports Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. How are you going to remember Doug Baldwin and Cam Chancellor from their days as a Seahawk? 360 says, what about Cam's great big smile? I mean, yeah, that that smile you could see from a mile away. 425, the only thing fans should need to remember about Cam is that hit where he stole Vernon Davis's soul during the twenty third, during the twenty twelve season, I think, the most twenty thirteen season. I guarantee you that when this news broke. On ESPN, they played that clip. Oh. Like, I will bet yeah. all of the money in my bank account. Yeah. I mean, he baptized You'll be disappointed. <laughs> like, that was one of the most jaw-dropping hits of all time. Like, in NFL history. NFL films will play this it's a hit. on a loop. Yes. It's a hit where you, at once, marvel at it, and on the other hand, say, why do we have this sport? Oh, yeah. my God. What are we doing? Second and 10 from the 20. Kaepernick under center, play fake. Steps back, looks, fires down the middle. Ball is caught. Vernon Davis takes a shoulder pad from Cam Chancellor, knocks him off his feet. Incomplete pass. Almost identical to the shot that Cam put on Vernon Davis on the far sidelines two years ago. And that brings the crowd onto their seats not just on their feet, incomplete. I know if I, I received a hit like that from Cam Chancellor, I would be in the hospital to this day. To this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the fact that Vernon Davis got up from that. I would have quit football. Yeah, I would have just retired on the spot. I, I quit like, ballet when I was little after two weeks because someone laughed at me, like a teacher. I was probably doing oh, something no. adorable. Oh, no. And she laughed at me, and I told my mom, I can't go back. And so I quit. I could have been a professional dancer. <laughs> you could have. Instead, you're hosting late night 
Sports Talk Radio. I think one thing you can also say, and and we'll get into Doug Baldwin's career and what the Seahawks do moving forward, but one last thing I want to say about Cam Chancellor, too, is I know that this isn't uh, something no one else can do, but one of the most impressive things to me was the way that his body seemed to absorb a hit and then he wouldn't move. Yeah. It's the same thing that people like about Earl Thomas when he hits someone, falls down, and then gets up in kind of this jolly way and like struts away, you know, when he does that. Yeah. Cam Chancellor would knock a guy on the floor and not lose his balance. And it was wild. You don't have a low center of gravity. I don't know how you're doing that. Who's got the more jaw-dropping highlight reel? Is it Cam or is it Doug? Because Doug had incredible catches like this one against the Vikings in the wild card round. Doug Baldwin is slotted on the right side. Tyler Lockett is wide to the near side. Here comes the rush. Russell has time. Down the middle. Reaching up. Doug Baldwin, one hand across the 35. How in the world did he catch that ball? On the left hash mark, all the way out to the 37-yard line, a 17-yard gain, and Doug Baldwin skies to pull it down with one hand. He made that catch in sub-zero temperatures. Like, how you know how hard it is to like just breathe in that air, and yet no. he's going out and making incredible one-handed catches behind his back mm-hmm. and, and giving it all. And we, the Seahawks, eventually came away with a victory. That's one of the most memorable games in franchise history, and yeah. due in large part to Baldwin's effort on that day. Uh, but the question we we came up with before the break uh, is, what does the Seahawks? offense look like now without Doug Baldwin in the fold, uh, who has been a staple of the Seahawks offense, the most stable guy from the very beginning of Pete Carroll's tenure to now. What does it look like without him? Because with him, there were no questions. Like that was just, you knew you were going to get close to a thousand yards. You knew you were going to get close to 80 receptions from him. Now that production's gone. You have, Tyler Lockett, who's there, and he stepped up in a big way in 2018, and hopefully he'll be able to build off of that and and take his game to another level beyond what he did this last year. But the offense right now, where it sits, Stacey, where do you see the added production from the wide receiver core coming from this season? Um, I mean, I think that the decision to take those three receivers is obviously in part to add depth there. Um, because it is hard to replace not just the skill set, but it's hard to replace eight years of experience, right? And it's just one of those things where older players sometimes get knocks, especially when you get close to that 30 number. But it is really hard to find a way to replace like a quick reaction time or um, knowing exactly where your quarterback is going to want to throw it when he's under pressure from the left side or whatever. It's hard to find a way to replace that. So, um, I think that the addition specifically of obviously DK Metcalf is taking a lot of that spotlight, but the additions of Gary Jennings and John Ursua specifically both have experience in that slot receiver spot. Um, both fast guys, um, Ursua kind of got a comment about more quick than fast, which weirdly I think was one of the comments that they gave Doug Baldwin. I don't know if if either player or all three will have the kind of long-term impact that Baldwin had on the offense. But I think Seattle tried to take a very deliberate step this offseason to replace him there. And one thing I will say, too, is that I think one of the common threads I'm seeing following this announcement is, well, 
folks have already seen the Seahawks offense without Doug Baldwin. After all, he was injured last year and Tyler Lockett became the number one receiver. I would expect Tyler Lockett to have another um, pretty consistent year. And he's been a consistent player. But I think that that might not be the full reflection of what Baldwin's complete absence would look like. No, and I mean, we know what life is like without Cam Chancellor because we saw that a year ago. We don't know what life is like without Doug Baldwin on this Seahawks roster. And for Russell Wilson, I'm sure this is, you know, he he probably knew it was coming before any of us did who aren't in the Seahawks organization. But, I mean, that's got to be tough for a guy who you who, who he's played his entire career with and has been his biggest safety blanket his entire career as well. You take that away from him, I mean, that's just got to be, you know, that's just got to be such a, a – culture shock to somebody even though in the NFL you can't have you got to have a quick uh you got to be able to forget things quickly um and I think Russell Wilson is going to be able to compartmentalize Baldwin's retirement and and where he used to fit in the offense and and what his role or what Russell Wilson's going to try to do with this wide receiver core that's essentially brand new to him and I think he's going to be in a position where he's going to look at and say all right like Let's find somebody who's going to be his, his safety blanket. I think Tyler Lockett could very well become that. I, yeah. I think that I think that kind of was the case at the season's end when Baldwin was in and out of the lineup. But to me, yeah, you can you can get Lockett and have him put up similar numbers to what he did a year ago. But then the biggest question mark to me is just where are you going to find the rest of that production in a wide receiver group where who's your most veteran guy beyond Lockett? It's Jerron Brown, who didn't do a whole lot a year ago. Well, it might even be David Moore with now going in his third year. That's true. Not, yeah. not age-wise, but, Just but again, someone who spent, system. Yeah, but spent first year on the practice squad, had, had flashes last mm-hmm. year. Um, but yeah, you're taking, I mean, and this is how it looked even before the draft, right? It looked like it was Baldwin pending what happens with his surgeries, lock it, and then just to drop off. And I think you could look at it as, well, let's see what they have in Jerome Brown if he gets more targets. Or let's see what they have in David Moore um, if he can get some some more work in and more experience. And so, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's still a lot of talent there. It's not going to zero. They, you know, I mean, Tyler Lockett is a pro bowler. No, <laughs> you, exactly. Like, you, yeah. you have options there. Um, I think it helps that they... Uh, lean into the run, that they try to be a really balanced offense. Um, that said, leaning into the run doesn't make that wide receiver group any less important. You still need some stellar talent there, especially if you're going to take a lot of downfield shots. Yeah, and I mean, another thing that the Seahawks lose in Baldwin isn't just what he did on the field, but also his presence in the locker room, his presence in team meetings, a guy who is going to call people out. He's going to call himself out in front of the team. Uh, you know, just a, a, an incredible leader that, you know, leadership isn't something that's naturally occurring. Like, it's not something that, you know, you automatically walk into a room and like, ah, yes, I am the alpha here. You will all follow my lead. But through hard work and through, you know, him coming from where he did, an undrafted free agent, the bottom of the NFL totem pole, him working his way up, through hard work and, and to get to where he was, I mean, that's just a testament to the kind of player and, and the kind of person that Doug Baldwin 
is. And, and I mean, just what he did in Seattle, uh, you can't replicate it. You can try to, but I mean, you can find guys who are going to put up the numbers that he did. I mean, wide receivers, especially in today's NFL, are going to put up gaudy numbers as it is, but you cannot replicate what he gave to the Seahawks and what he gave to their locker room. No, not at all. I mean, this is a guy who, at training camp, you would see him this past training camp when he was sidelined with a knee injury, walk up into the huddle with Carroll, <laughs> and like walk up into the huddle with the players, stand on the sideline with Carroll, talk about plays as they were happening. I mean, as involved as you could possibly be in an offense without being on the field. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to convince someone to truly give their all to something. And I think that Carroll has managed to pull that out of people. And I think that the other half of that is you have to have people that are willing to to make that obvious to other players so that other players can buy in. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports Tonight, it's time for another edition of Four Down Territory. We've got Seahawks insider Stacy Ross here to answer four of the biggest questions surrounding the Seahawks. And with Cam Chancellor and Doug Baldwin no longer on the roster, that definitely is going to bring up a lot more questions than it does answers. So we try to answer those questions next right here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. This this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. We're digging deep here, Four Down Territory. Curtis Rogers, Seahawks insider, Stacey Rost here on Seattle Sports at Night. As we do each and every time here on Seattle Sports Tonight, we answer four of the biggest questions in four down territory. Stacey, ready? I guess. I guess I have to be. There's no turning back. Yeah, we've gone too far, so let's go. First down. Number one. Stacey, for the first time in eight seasons, the Seahawks are entering a year without Doug Baldwin. When you're taking a look at this roster, who is the top candidate to take his place? Uh, I saw so Paul Moyer was on with Bob Gross and Tom earlier today, and he was specifically talking about the toughest thing about losing Baldwin. So he talked about his skills. He said escaping the jam, um, just his escapability and quickness was incredible. And then he also mentioned, you know, they were talking about this, and he said, I don't see why Tyler Lockett couldn't even be a candidate there. My thing is, I don't think he can. Right? He's a quick guy. He he could play the position, but to me. The decisions and the moves that the Seahawks made in the offseason and in the draft, to me, tell me that they're looking at potentially someone else there, a new guy to fill that position, specifically with Gary Jennings and John Ursua. I think Gary Jennings is a strong candidate. Uh, John Ursua has a chance. Obviously, he's a draft pick. You're going to be in training camp. You're going to get your shot. Um, both of those guys seem like the best candidates there. John Ursula, the seventh rounder out of Hawaii. Gary Jennings, fourth rounder yeah. out of West Virginia. I mean, Seahawks definitely showing an emphasis on the wide receiver position in the draft. Hopefully it does come from those guys, but if not, maybe it comes from outside the organization. Free agency is still going on as well. Yeah. Could you be. never know. They, they've got plenty of options. Let's get to second down. Number two. Second down to you, Stacey. The Seahawks announced the signing of four free agents today, those being Jamar Taylor, Nick Ballore, Marcus Martin, and then also Ziggy Ansah. Uh, who are they, and who has the best chance to make the roster? Because a lot of them, very unknown to Seahawks fans. Yeah, I think 
I'm going to answer the second half of that first. I think of all of these guys, I'm going to say Jamar Taylor has the best chance just because that's the most wide-open competition. Yes, Nick Ballore is a fullback, and they don't currently have a fullback, so he would be the obvious choice there. But I think that Carroll intentionally, when you're looking to replace Justin Coleman, yes, they re-signed Akeem King, but he's there to compete for that spot. They have no set starter at that spot. Um, And the same with the outside corners. He said, you know, these guys coming in are going to challenge Trey Flowers. They're going to challenge Shaquille. Um, These are guys that every year need to prove that they can hold down that spot. So there's guys like Kalen Reed that they have on the roster already. Um, And another option could be a guy like Jamar Taylor to come in and compete with Akeem King um, at that nickel spot. So the others are are guys that certainly can come in. you know, maybe they stand out, add some depth. If nothing else, uh, they were brought in for a reason. And one is fullback Nick Ballore, who started out as a linebacker for his first several seasons. He was switched to fullback when he was with the Lions in 2017. Was used primarily as a blocker, but I think had a touchdown. Unless I'm mistaken, I think he had one reception Not and bad. one touchdown. So I'm guessing it was some kind of trick play. Not entirely sure, but he's not a traditional like a fullback you're going to use. It's more like a George fan where it's a tackle. They're using him like a tight end, but it's really to add some extra blocking there and to really pad that run game. So I think he's another candidate. If he can prove to be an outstanding blocker, I mean, with a run first offense, you can't really have enough. Um, And then Marcus Martin, again, uh, offensive lineman coming in here to just help compete there. But I think overall, I'm going to say Jamar Taylor. Yeah, Nick Ballore actually has six career receptions uh, in his football playing here. Uh, made four of those last year for 15 yards as the fullback for the Lions. The touchdown came on a one-yard reception when he was listed as a middle linebacker. And then in 2012, had a 23-yard reception for the Jets uh, with uh, no yards after the catch. So he went long in one play. Yeah. Shout-out to Nick Ballore. Let's get to question three. Number three. Third down to you, Stacy. The Seahawks making moves at wide receiver in the draft. Now, was were these moves at wide receiver to help with the loss of Doug Baldwin? Or is this team going to change things up on offense going into 2019 and 2020? I think it's like an 80-20. I think it's 80 to add, 80% to add depth with the loss of Doug Baldwin. And 20% to... Mix in some competition, get some options there, specifically with the DK Metcalf pick. That is is a move much more reminiscent to me of going for a big-bodied receiver. You have in mind the kind of plays you want to use them for. Um, and, and if you strike gold there, you can get like a franchise-type receiver. So uh, do I think that Seattle wants to pass only like 46% of the time? No. I, I am sure that they would love to be more balanced. Pete Carroll has said that when he talked with Brock and Salk in January uh, after the wildcard loss. He said, you know, we've looked at this system and now we're going to refine it a little bit. Ultimately, this is Pete Carroll's offense. This isn't Brian Schottenheimer coming in and saying, you know, I think we should run. Yeah, he's an offensive coordinator, but Pete Carroll loves this run-first offense. He likes to have this big, powerful running back. He likes a fast, quick defense that's hard-hitting, and he likes to shine on special teams. He's told us that. So I think that you're still going to see a run-first offense. You're still going to see an offense that's a bit different than uh, the one exercised by the Chiefs or, or even the Patriots. But I think it's one that they'd like to add maybe a bit more creativity too. 
number four. Fourth down to you, Stacy. Last opportunity to get seven on the board. Tyler Lockett had a breakout season in 2018. Can he take on the role of replacing Doug Baldwin in that slot position? So I did a bit of a spoiler alert with oh. the last segment. Oh. Uh, because this stemmed from, again, Paul Moyer's conversation earlier where he said Tyler Lockett absolutely could play that spot if they needed him to. Um, but again, I just see someone like Gary Jennings or John Arsua being more of an option there. To me, they wouldn't have gone for two guys that have played in the slot if they were planning on using someone they already had. They would have tried to get some big bodies in or looked for super speedy guys. I think it was very intentional that they tried to get two really versatile receivers that have experience in Baldwin's position. That is four down territory right here on Seattle Sports at Night. Uh, Seahawks definitely addressing things in the draft with their wide receiver position. With the compensatory pick deadline over now and the second phase of free agency open, Stacey, do you envision the Seahawks at all? This is kind of a fifth down, by the way. This is an untimed That's down. not something that can happen. I don't know where you're playing football. Wow. I don't know how they do things in federal way, but that's, that's not, not how we do that's things That's not where here. I'm from. I'm from Kent. Whatever. Wow. <laughs> You're mistaking Federal Way and Kent. Anything south of The disrespect has been noted. (laughs) I just stopped caring. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, fifth down coming your way. I don't care if you're ready or not for it. Uh, Do you think the Seahawks go out and add a veteran wide receiver in this second phase of free agency, whether it be someone Mm. who's known or just kind of any old guy off the street? I obviously risk being wrong by saying an answer, but I'm going to say no. I think they... I think they were interested in that when they brought in a guy like Jordy Nelson. Um, but I think they've stocked up on young guys. And I, my impression is that they're looking to get a pool of young guys and you just bring in a lot and then you see where the talent is. And, and you try to, much the way that, and again, I don't know that this is what they're doing. This is my theory. Much the way that Carol has tried to um, kind of build as much around the skill set and talent his defensive backs have and, and defensive players and some of the best athletes. Um, I would imagine that's a mindset they want to apply to their offense. So I don't necessarily think it's something where we need a veteran presence. Obviously, you lose that with Baldwin mm-hmm. leaving. But being that the team is so young and you you want to get guys that uh, you can have on a pretty low cap hit for as long as possible – I would imagine what we're going to see instead is is like the the walk-on undrafted rookies that were at rookie camp kind of, you know, getting there for OTAs or training camp. Yeah, you look at the the free agent wide receivers available right now, none of them really are sexy yeah. in, in that way. Pierre Garçon, who's 33 years old, Jordy Nelson retired, Michael Crabtree. I just don't think it's a position where they need to spend a lot of money right now. How about this, though? Here's a here's a cheap option that's still available. Okay, so sixth down. Sixth. Jermaine Curse. Ah, okay. Well. Could you be talked into him coming back? I think back? I could. Someone who's really familiar with the system. Again, I think it would come down to, you know, how much cap room you're willing to move around. But that is an option I did not consider. Well, consider it an option. <laughs> I hate you. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports at Night, the Mariners just with a rash of injuries tonight. Uh, It got ugly at some point. Edwin Encarnacion is playing second base. I don't appreciate your use of the word rash. It's just how you describe it. I just don't love it. Okay. Well, a a 
plethora of injuries. All right. How about that? A cornucopia. There were myriad injuries. Yo, I don't like that. That's a word we don't use. <laughs> but the Mariners, they could be forced to make a roster move in the coming days. What's it going to be? And also, we recap some of the Seahawks' free agency moves that they made today, as well as yesterday, the addition of Ziggy Ansa. Roster coming together here. We come together right here on Seattle Sports Night on 710 ESPN Seattle.